Welcome everyone to Wellbeing Wednesdays. I am your host, Courtney Weaver. I'm also the director over at Well WVU here at West Virginia University. And with me today is Dr. Azalea Hulbert. She is the director of academic integrity here at WVU, which sounds like a really big and important job, and I'm sure it is. Um, so welcome, Azalea. And I'd love for you to explain a little bit more about your role here at the university. All right. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm delighted to be here today. Uh, as you said, my name is Azalea Holbert, and I lead the Office of Academic Integrity here at WVU. I have been here since September 2018 when the office was established, and I work with a fantastic team who are focused on a common goal of educating students around academic integrity while also promoting accountability when violations do occur. Uh, we also work closely with faculty and staff to provide assistance in resolving academic misconduct violations and to develop partnerships that will help students thrive. And last but not least, we keep track of trends related to academic misconduct, both at WVU and on a larger scale, so that we can respond in the most effective and timely manner to the needs of all members of our community. Okay. Well, fun fact about me, actually, when I was in undergrad, I served as a student member of the Academic Integrity Committee. And so I would go through okay. hearings <laughs> for students who were, um, you know, alleged uh, academic misconduct. So this is like close to my nerdy heart, <laughs> what we're talking about today. Uh, so so let's, start let's start basically at the beginning. So could you explain mm -hmm. to everyone what academic misconduct <laughs> is? Because I think it covers such a range of behaviors and and sometimes I don't think students are always aware of like some of the more minor behaviors that would fall in this category. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm going to start by taking kind of an indirect approach into our, our list of examples of prohibited behaviors by first describing what we mean by honest or, or good academic work. Um, and you know, our expectation at, at WVU, even our hope for students, is that they'll come to WVU, they'll prepare for a future career, and they'll do that by learning both skills and content that they need to thrive as a professional. And of course, we want them to enjoy the college experience, to, to take this time to develop as individuals. But for the, the truly academic piece of their time here, in order for us to certify a student as a graduate, as an alum, we have to have ways of assessing their learning. And some of these assessment methods are imperfect for sure. Um, you know, that's something as educators that, that we're always working on and trying to find better ways to assess, but even imperfect methods are still important in helping us see how a student is doing, where they might need additional support and, and so on. Uh, so when I personally use the word good academic work, I'm, I'm not meaning that it has to be polished or, or perfect or anything like that. I'm meaning that I want it to be the student's own work and an accurate reflection of what they know and are capable of at a, a precise moment in time. And so that's why kind of philosophically academic misconduct is so problematic because it can obscure what the student actually knows, what their abilities are, and, and create challenges in the future as instructors can't provide targeted support if they have a false picture of what the student knows. It can also create unfair or inequitable situations where a student gets credit in the form of a grade or, or even their degree for work that they did not do. Um, and as you can imagine, this could become really problematic if an instructor scales grades, for example. Um, so, so kind of big picture academic misconduct then is any behavior that misrepresents the student's own involvement in the creation or completion of an academic assignment. Now, in terms of, of prohibited behaviors, 
these fall into four major categories, uh, plus any kind of, of other behaviors that violate departmental or class rules. Uh, the, the first category is plagiarism, and that encompasses everything from uh, what we call self-plagiarism, which is repeated submission of a student's own work without permission, uh, then to what most of us would think of as plagiarism, uh, all the way up to something called contract cheating, which is submission of work by a student that was created by someone else. Now, with, with kind of general plagiarism, though, it is important to recognize that there's a range of problematic behavior even there, uh, including properly paraphrased or quoted work, quoted work that isn't cited, uh, improperly paraphrased or quoted work that is cited, and a lot of issues in between, uh, including something we call patch writing, where uh, you know, there's been an effort to kind of put the work in the student's own words, but it doesn't fully um, succeed. Uh, so it's it's a pretty complex, you know, we tend to think of, of plagiarism as something that people kind of understand what it is, but there's a lot of nuance there. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the next category is what most of us think of when we hear the word cheating, and that's everything from collaborating on a homework assignment uh, when not allowed to do so, up to uh, cheating on an exam using online resources or a cheat sheet or, or copying from a friend uh, or even more egregious behaviors like stealing a copy of the exam in advance. We also have fabrication and falsification, which includes things like misrepresenting your attendance in a class. Uh, for example, if you swipe in to say that you were there and then you leave, that would be um, falsification of attendance. That can include falsifying citations or really egregious behaviors like uh, forging a transcript. And then the last big category is facilitation, which would be any kind of assistance that a student gives that helps someone else cheat, whether they knew or not that that was what was going to happen. Um, so if you give answers to someone else or you give someone a paper and then they then submit it as their own, a student can be reported for academic misconduct themselves uh, for those kind of situations. And it's important to keep in mind these are, are just examples. There are other behaviors that are problematic that can be found in, in uh, syllabus language or in departmental handbooks. And so it's really important for students to be aware of the standards they're being held to and to always ask for clarification if needed. Right. So basically, students should read their syllabus for sure. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's yes. just good advice in general. Um, yes, <laughs> uh, find out a, a whole host of information that perhaps they weren't yeah. aware of, but yes, read your syllabus. Um, so now Azalea, how is, how is academic misconduct usually reported and like by who is it reported? So how and who? Yes, so it is, when we have violations of the WVU policy on student academic integrity, we are most frequently made aware of that by faculty, and they can report, uh, you know, either by reaching out via email, but most often it's done via an online reporting form. Uh, you know, we, we try to make this a, a streamlined process and one that, that lets us get the information in as easy a way as possible, um, of course. But we do sometimes receive reports from students or other members of the WV community, and rarely we even get reports from outside of, of WVU. Uh, we take all such reports very seriously and investigate to the extent that we can, although, uh, you know, something for any kind of, of conduct issue that we tell students is, uh, you know, it's, it takes a lot of courage to report something, but if you don't give us enough information about what's going on, we can't do anything about it. So, you know, we, we try, but sometimes we can't really um, find out much about a, a situation that's reported by students or those other community members, um, but 
but yes, I would say in general, it's most often reported by faculty. Um, sometimes we do also have students who will go to a faculty member that they trust and, and tell them about, about an issue. And so it comes uh, indirectly. Okay. And so is it a form that folks submit or do they email someone or call your office? Yes. So the preference is that they submit a form. We have an online form that's uh, pretty easy to fill out, uh, but they can contact us. And, and that's sometimes what we see is either faculty or students contacting us by email or telephone because they see something that seems like it might be an issue, but they don't know exactly how to address it. Okay, great. And so um, how do you think that the patterns of misconduct at WVU have changed with COVID? Yes, excellent question. Um, we've certainly seen uh, an increase in reported issues. Um, I, I don't know that that's necessarily that, that more misconduct is occurring or that it, it may also be that it's easier in some ways to detect. Um, this is not something that's unique to WVU. If, if you search academic dishonesty or academic misconduct or cheating or, or any number of phrases um, and COVID, you'll get a lot of news articles about uh, an uptick in misconduct. Um, and I'll touch a little bit uh, later in, in more detail about some of the types of issues we've seen. Mm -hmm. But what I, I wanna really note right now is that the shifts that we've seen have clearly been related to the increased stress that students are under, mm -hmm. uh, including financial stress, um, you know, learning stress from the, the changed environment, and even a lack of connection that many of our students are feeling to campus and to each other and to faculty. And so because of that, I, I think it's, I, I'm glad we're having this conversation because it's really important to talk about this and articulate why these issues are occurring not to, to help students justify this behavior, but to help them understand their own actions and to give them the tools to make better decisions in the okay. future. Well, I mean, so talking about decision-making, um, what do you think the role that habit plays in, in the decision-making process? Okay, so, so let's step back a bit and think big picture about behavior and decisions in general. Um, you know, much of what we do uh, as human beings can be thought about as a, a feedback or habit loop. And there's a model that I really like that was uh, presented by journalist and author Charles Duhigg in his book, The Power of Habit. And in that book, he, he talks about how our behavioral patterns start with some kind of cue. We then exhibit a routine or response, and then we receive some kind of a reward. So if you have a, a hunger cue, you eat, you feel satiated. If you're sleepy, you take a nap, you wake up rested. And those are, are pretty basic biological examples, but that extends to all kinds of behaviors that we engage in and all kinds of decisions that, that we make that lead into those behaviors and gives us some tools to modify our behavior if we want to. So when it comes to a student's academic life, here's an example of, of how this might play out. So let's say your math professor has put in the syllabus that you did read. <laughs> that there will be four exams throughout the semester, but they've left some flexibility on dates. So, you know, February 3rd, your instructor sends an email saying that the first exam is set for February 15th and also sends a brief study outline covering what will be on the exam. So that's your cue. Now, your reward is going to come on the 15th. That might be getting the test over with. Uh, it could be getting a particular grade, but we'll assume for the, the sake of this example that the ideal reward is getting an A on the test. And this is where that routine piece comes in. And it's, it's going to look a little different for everyone. Some students might procrastinate, wait until the last minute and then cram. 
Some might study a little bit every day, and some might even plan to look up answers online during the exam, just skipping that studying piece completely. Of course, there are some objectively better routines in those examples. Uh, there's there's a, a good habit pattern to be in and, and a couple of not so good uh, habit patterns. But the important piece as a student is recognizing how you respond to a cue like that. And if you're not satisfied with your routine, if, if you want to do something different, it, figuring out how to improve it uh, is needed. But you know, really the habit loop is just one piece of the behavior though, because there are realistically some external factors that can disrupt our habits and cause us to sometimes act in ways that don't line up with our values or our, our general trends of behavior. And in research that I did a few years back, I talked to a number of undergraduate students about their attitudes around academic integrity and academic dishonesty and got some, some really interesting insight into these disruptors. And sometimes these would disrupt good habits and students would report uh, engaging in academic misconduct, even though they, they generally saw themselves as honest. And sometimes it went the other way, disrupting bad habits. But either way, understanding these factors can help students recognize what drives their behavior and give them the tools to make adjustments that they want to make. All right. So, I mean, along those same lines, um, I mean, you touched on this a little bit, but let's dive a little deeper into why students choose to engage in academic misconduct, because there are a lot of different factors at play. Absolutely are. Uh, so one of the, the biggest drivers of academic misconduct that I see is when students accept the risk inherent in their behaviors and believe that the potential reward is greater than, than the risk. And there's a lot that I'm not going to dive into here that, that's tied to what we believe failure means, you know, students who are afraid to fail, are they afraid to fail a course or they, you know, right. there's a lot to unpack there and, and limited amounts of, of time here. So I won't go down that rabbit hole, but the, each person's definition of failure is important to this, but also their acceptance of risk and, and their belief in what the reward is. Um, and so as classes and especially exams moved online, this is where we started to see a shift in the types of misconduct that were reported uh, after COVID because we started to see an increase in reported exam cheating with students, uh, for example, communicating via group chats or using websites like Chegg to, or Quizlet to look up answers to exams while they were live. Uh, and the, you know, the logical explanation here is that even when video proctoring is used, there's an element of separation between the student and instructor. It, there, there's physical distance. Um, and, and as a result, the perceived risk of being caught feels low in that moment. Now, realistically, it's with uh, online platforms for, for testing, there, there's actually in many ways a heightened risk of being caught. But the perception in that moment is that the, the risk is fairly low. Now, a second big driver of academic misconduct involves deficits that students see in themselves. And again, those can be real deficits, they can be perceived deficits. And, and when I say deficit, I mean things like a lack of self-efficacy or, or the student's ability to actually do the work. Um, also things like lack of motivation or lack of time both of which have become major issues over the last year as we're all trying to balance new or changing responsibilities or, or stressors and are feeling stretched for time and possibly lacking motivation. 
Um, and in reality as well, many students have struggled to adapt to online learning, both in terms of feeling able to do the work and feeling motivated. And so that reward of a good grade feels harder to achieve and therefore more worth the risk. So we're, we're back to that risk reward calculation. On top of that, uh, third, I, I want to talk a little bit about disconnection. Mm-hmm. So when students feel removed from any kind of working relationship with their instructors, uh, you know, pre-COVID, this might be a class with several hundred other students. This can minimize feelings of guilt about academic misconduct. Um, you know, think about it kind of in the, the reverse example. If you're in a class with 10 students and your professor finds out you cheated on an exam, it's going to be awkward. You're going to feel like you've damaged your relationship with your professor. You're, you're likely going to weigh all of that when you're making your decision of whether to engage in academic misconduct or not. But with several hundred students, there's a degree of anonymity. You're probably not going to be as concerned about those factors. And that same sense of disconnection can be found in online courses, especially when we have students who are having their first experiences as adults in a college classroom happening remotely. Uh, And then last, I just want to touch briefly on financial stressors, which, of course, has been a huge factor this year with the economic impact of COVID. And for many students, there's an understandable fear of of failure, to circle back to that, in the sense of wasting money by doing poorly in a course. And whether it's their money alone, their parents' money, it doesn't really matter. This is just a period of financial stress for so many. And so, again, that risk-reward calculation changes, and the benefit of academic misconduct can be perceived as greater than the risk. Okay. And so I guess on the reverse side of that is what do you think helps to motivate students to do their academic work with integrity? So honestly, it it frequently comes down to the same factors, uh, just uh, a different perspective on them. Um, So risk versus reward. If, If students perceive the risk as greater than the reward, academic misconduct logically should decrease. Um, it, Again, that might mean a mindset shift for each individual student, for example, in terms of of defining and accepting failure, being willing to to get a failing grade on an assignment and, and, you know, getting the reward of of knowing you did your work with integrity. Or it might mean understanding that there are very real consequences for academic misconduct at at WVU and that the risk of being caught is higher than might be perceived. Mm -hmm. Um, But really a more important motivator is that that self-efficacy piece, the belief that students can do the work that's being asked of them. And especially in, in periods of remote instruction, that might be an uncomfortable process. Um, you know, we, we know from uh, substantial amounts of research that it, it is an adjustment for students to come to college. The, the high school environment is very different in terms of the responsibilities placed on them versus what they're expected to do in college. And I cannot imagine, honestly, having to do that fully online under the current circumstances. And it's, it's really hard. And so, you know, what we've seen a lot of this year is students making poor decisions after connecting with their peers instead of connecting with their instructors because they're more comfortable connecting to their peers. Um, but that's, that's a risk in and of itself, even taking aside the risk of being uh, caught engaging in academic misconduct, um, you know, peers, classmates, they're in the same situation that, that any other given student is. And, you know, they may not know any more about the topic than, than the student who's reaching out for assistance does. 
Um, so, you know, if, if you're a student and you ask a friend for help on homework or on a practice exam, but the information that they provide is wrong, then when actual exam time comes, you know, you're going to find yourself in an even more stressful and unsustainable situation. So it, I would really encourage students to think carefully about whether the actions they're taking will really help achieve their goals, whether they'll uh, achieve their goals in a way that supports overall well-being. And, you know, because of that, to to push themselves to take that possibly uncomfortable step of reaching out to your instructor over email, setting up a Zoom call, um, and building those connections with the right people who can help uh, students succeed uh, in a, a, a more meaningful way, longer term way. Okay. Well, speaking of that, Azalea, what is available here at WBU that can help students change their unhealthy academic behaviors to more positive ones? Well, fortunately, we have a ton of resources. Um, you know, well, WBU, uh, among others. Uh, the, the really important thing for students, though, is to recognize what is driving their choices and what that means in terms of resources. Uh, for example, if a student is facing mental health challenges such as depression or anxiety, and those challenges are impacting their academic motivation, that requires a different response than a student who is struggling to understand the course content or who's dealing with uh, financial stressors or, or things of that nature. And so I'll, I'll point to the Office of Academic Integrity website here. Um, we have a, a list of some of the top resources that are available uh, to help students in these areas. Uh, students can access that at academicintegrity.wvu.edu, and we have a resources tab. Um, the, the ones that we highlight there include the Office of Accessibility Services for students who may need academic accommodations to, to really thrive in the classroom. Uh, we, of course, highlight Caruth for students who need mental health support. Um, we highlight the Office of Student Success for students who are seeking services such as tutoring or success coaching. Uh, the Eberly Writing Studio is available for students who need that tutoring or, or success uh, support specifically related to writing. And then we, we also highlight the Office of Global Affairs for international students who may need specific guidance or support, um, especially during this time when everything's kind of um, all turned around in terms of, of being able to travel and, and be actually on campus. That's a, a great partner to help students um, in general and, and related to their, their academic needs. Uh, we also provide some links on that site to academic integrity focused tutorials and seminars, both in-house and, and third party that can provide students with the practical tools that they need to avoid misconduct. Uh, I mean, there, there's so much more. Sometimes it's a case-by-case -case scenario, though, where we uh, might refer a, a student to someone, someone specific. And so my team is always happy to help students connect with a department or individual who can best assist them, given their specific needs or concerns. Uh, and, and students, they can call the Office of Student Conduct um, at 304-293-8111. But the best way right now to get in touch with my team specifically is via email at academicintegrity at mail.wvu.edu. Um, and then the last thing I would encourage students, as I mentioned, you know, reach out to your instructors. Um, I, I can say with confidence from this last year that, that most of our faculty will be more than happy to provide support. I, I mean, even the ones who are reporting students for academic misconduct, mm -hmm. I, I know that it's a hard decision for them a lot of the time because they don't want to, uh, you know, they want to teach. <laughs> That's their passion. And it's, 
it's hard for them to have to do that because they don't want to, I don't want to use the word hurt the student's chances of success, but to, to provide kind of a speed bump because mm-hmm. even when we just resolve a situation with education and, and coaching, that's still kind of a, a, a bump in the road for the student. They're having to meet with, with someone in my office or with their instructor to go over this issue. And it, it can be, it, it can feel like a challenge to, to kind of who a, a student is as a person. And so I know that our faculty take these, these reporting decisions very seriously, and they also just really want to provide support. Um, and so if, if students reach out proactively to them, they're almost all the time more than happy to, uh, to help. So I would just encourage students, that should be your first uh, stop when you're, you're struggling in a class. Just reach out to your instructor and connect and go from there. Right. And that could be, I mean, speaking of like my time as a freshman in college, I remember specifically, I was so intimidated by my professors <laughs> and and I shouldn't have been uh, because like you said, at the most part, they want to help. They want you to succeed. They want you to do well in their courses. And so that is also part of their job is to assist you when you're, having, when you're having a tough time. So make use of those office hours, friends. Get to know your <laughs> <Yes>. professors. <laughs> yes. Syllabus and office hours. <laughs> yes. And the office hours are usually printed in the syllabus. So yes. <laughs> there you go. Um, all right. Well, Azalea, thank you so much for uh, dropping by and telling us today about academic misconduct and what we can do to combat it and um, strategies to, to be more successful. We really appreciate it. Uh, do you have any final parting words of wisdom? Do good work. Make good decisions. I, I sound like my mom all of a sudden. <laughs> Make good choices. I like it. It's that's solid advice. Um, all right. Well, thank you again. And thank you to all of our lovely listeners out there. We appreciate you. And we will catch you next time on Wellbeing Wednesdays. <laughs>